Welcome back to the podcastle. Tweet us at the underscore podcastle. Listen to all the shows for free on Pandora, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Roku, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Uh, our next guest um, is the fifth time she has been on the program. Good friend of ours in the show. Cannot thank you enough from the Ocean Con- from Ocean Conservancy. Corey, how are you? Hello. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for making the time. In the words of Ron Burgundy, we've been doing the same thing for 12 years and in no way is that depressing. Um, first of all, I just want to wish you a huge congratulations. Um, something amazing happened this year to you. Well, yeah. I hope a lot of things happened this year that were good, but you were recently appointed by um, it's Secretary Raimondo. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Department of Commerce um, Secretary, she was sworn in, I believe, uh, I'm Matt Clark, and I've done all my homework here on the show, but she was sworn in recently. She was. Newly this year, she's part of the Biden administration. Uh, She's from Connecticut, and she is the new Secretary of Commerce. And you were appointed to the Pacific Fishery Management Council last month, uh, which is a huge deal. And you mentioned you were the first environmentalist ever to represent California in 45 years? Yes, that's correct. Um, I'm incredibly honored and excited to have the position. Um, The state of California has generally three people that represent it on the Pacific Fishery Management Council, and I am now one of those three people. So very excited and looking forward to jumping in. I've been you know, working at the council for a while, representing Ocean Conservancy, and it'll be fun to actually uh, dig in, get to know folks even better, and and have a seat at the table. That's such a big deal. Congratulations. So what exactly will you be doing in this in this new role, in this appointment? So the, the management council uh, is an advisory body to the federal government, so NOAA and NIMS. And they make recommendations for all of our federal fisheries off of the coasts of California, Oregon, and Washington. So that's um, three to 200 miles, 200 nautical miles offshore uh, and covers a wide variety of species like sardine anchovies, tunas, salmon, um, and of course the, the ecosystem that surrounds them. So both things like habitat, and the water column, and corals, and seagrass, but um, also the people who depend on fishing, and, and just those of us who like to eat fish, and care about fish, and other ocean organisms, so. That's amazing, and yeah, I was going to ask you how large that was, because, I mean, California's so big alone, it's just the, you know, you're going through several ecosystems, and, you know, climates there, um, just it's a massive, uh, massive area, but how, how many nautical miles did you say it was? So it covers our federal waters in our exclusive economic zone, which is the space between three miles, which is about state, which is state waters from shoreline to three miles, to 200 nautical miles offshore, where it hits up against international waters. Oh, wow. And is, is this separate from, like, this appointment is obviously for your work and, you know, how qualified you are. But is this, um, so this is, like, are you, you're representing... This is separate from Ocean Conservancy? Absolutely. Yes, this is me representing um, the people of California. So in this role, I'm not actually representing Ocean Conservancy or working for Ocean Conservancy, but myself. Um, Of course, the governor 
um, who actually makes the recommendations to the secretary uh, this year made a strong statement about wanting to have someone in the seat who represented um, the conservation community. So I see it as um, a mandate to come in and think from a conservation lens in that approach. Uh, and of course, my background represents that. Uh, and at the same time, it's important that anyone in the seat is thinking about all Californians and actually all West Coasters and sort of the future of our fisheries and what is needed to make sure we have fisheries in the future and support our communities today. And, and Newsom uh, made that recommendation uh, to have, you know, represented from California. Is that what you, we said to the secretary? He did. Yeah, it's kind of a boring slash complex process, but the various governors make recommendations to the secretary. They send in lists with um, folks that they'd like the secretary to con consider. And then the secretary chooses from that list in terms of making the actual appointment. I did not know that. Um, there's a lot yeah. of things I should probably do my homework on. But but thank you for representing us here in California in that. And um, a lot of people, uh, it's very important. And I know you're going to do a great job there. And I, I hope that people are more intimidated you at Ocean Conservancy because you're now an official government representative <laughs> and that they'll like, hey, can I get you, can I get you some coffee? Can I get you anything? And they're kind of bumbling their words because now. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever intimidated anybody. Like not even no. my cat is intimidated by me. So, um. <laughs> well, the last time we spoke, it was, God bless you. It was, maybe that wasn't a sneeze, but bless you anyway. Um, we were get, getting through the, we were going through the pandemic. Um, now that it's for better or for worse, we've turned a page, I should say, on it. How are you, how are you doing? Like, how's everything going in, in your world? Um, things are going like, okay. You know, it's been a tough, it's been tough for everybody. Um, I feel very lucky that me and my family have made it out. We're, we're alive and mostly doing well. We had a couple sicknesses in the family, but that was, um, not related to COVID, actually. Um, so I'm sorry. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting time and interesting to see how COVID has affected our coastal communities and our fisheries. And I think for the most part, people are coming out the other side. Certainly, some did some did better and some did worse. Um, but hopefully, we can take the lessons learned and apply them to how we manage going forward. Yeah, definitely. And that's really smart. And I wanted to bring this up. Um, I'm referencing your blog you wrote. This is from August 2005. Mm -hmm. And I encourage people to check it out. Um, if you want to do it from your phone quickly, it's not like such an old man. If you kids want to do it from your phone, um, <laughs> if, if you guys have one of those smart fat face snap chat tweet things, um, you can just Google uh, Corey Riding's Ocean Conservancy. They'll give you a list of blogs and archive blogs and, and other things. But um, the the article, the blog, the article, I guess you could say, is called <laughs> Lessons from COVID-19 on Important Overlap Between People and Policies. Um, do you remember writing this? I do remember writing it. <laughs> and just to, just to uh, quote one of the lines in there, um, you mentioned one of the sentences, you said, new challenges like climate change, uh, increasing demand on our ocean spaces, and disruptive events like COVID-19 make it clear we need fisheries management um, that can quickly adapt to new and developing situations. Um, kind of a broad question, but what are some of the challenges you've seen during the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, and are things getting better? Are they getting worse? Like what's kind of the deal, the status with that? Um, yeah, there's been a lot of challenges. I mean, folks in the industry and the fleets, obviously, you know, fishermen, people in processing plants, the whole seafood supply chain had to be careful. Um, and of course they want to keep people employed. They want to keep going fishing. They want to keep supplying fish. 
And so there was a lot of challenges to be able to um, take care of their employees and be safe. Uh, as probably folks have seen, there were some outbreaks of COVID um, on some, some processing ships as well as some processing plants. And so that was a real challenge. Um, and then from the marketing side, uh, you know, a lot of restaurants closed down, most restaurants closed down. And that's, especially here on the West Coast, um, that's a major buyer of seafood. So that really put some pressure on folks of all different types within the industry um, to keep going. I think a lot of that has returned to normal and what it was beforehand, and that's been great. Uh, in fact, it even spurred some sort of like innovations going for some folks up and down the coast who were able to do some direct-to-consumer sales uh, and try out some new business practices, which was great. And I hope to see some of that uh, continue. Um, in terms of like the science side of things, uh, there were some disruptions in things like um, surveys, the scientific surveys that the National Marine Fisheries Service does that gets really important information about our fish, fish stocks and about our ecosystem. And um, there were some cruises that were missed. There was some science that wasn't collected. And so that's going to create a little bit of a problem in, in some of our data sets. So it's really important that we keep investing in that science and keep those ships out on the water this year and in the coming years and um, making sure that we're able to uh, harvest fish stocks sustainably. It is. Great answer, by the way. But you, you talk about the, the supply chain and you talk about the disruptions during COVID-19. We've seen it in industries like the aluminum. There's a shortage of aluminum because people aren't recycling as much and, and uh, or weren't during the pandemic. So, you know, that that supply chain was disrupted. And when you mention, um, you know, people, restaurants closing and trying to get fish there um, into those markets, it's kind of like changing the tire while the car is moving. It's like all these, you know, restrictions happen at once all these industries are, are disrupted and it's like, how are we going to survive? Um, but did, did you see anything or were there, was there any data on, okay, the fishing industry was hit. There were some disruptions that, that maybe they tried to cut some corners and, and use more like unsustainable sources or anything like that in order to like keep the machine moving. I don't think we saw too many examples of that. I think, especially here on the West Coast, um, you know, <laughs> we have a lot of members of the fishing community that understand the, the importance of core sustainability. Um, I think that it's certainly challenging and, and certainly some things might have happened there, but I don't think it was a major problem for us. No, that's good. Do you think California industries are more like woke on the issues of sustainability just because sure. of like, uh, you know, government? Um, you know, like restrictions and um, requirements, I should say, than other other markets in different parts of the country? I think it really depends on what kind of market you're talking about. I mean, for example, we think about Southern California and there's, uh, or even San Francisco, you know, you have a lot of restaurants that are interested in serving really local, really sustainable type seafoods. And so they are uh, a portion of the market and they are buyers that are kind of responding to that California wokeness. Um, I think on balance, you know, they can only make up certain part of the market. You know, we still have huge markets for things um, outside of the country. Still a lot of our seafood that we actually catch in American waters goes abroad for processing um, and consumption abroad and back here. Um, and then there are just markets that are, you know, domestic and have nothing to do with sort of the political wokeness of much of our state. 
Yeah, and I like to think California is a leader as far as just from a consumer standpoint on like responsible shopping, you know, when it, or responsible purchasing when it comes to, you know, fish or fish products in terms of like sustainability. Um, I know we're not a leader in a lot of things in the state, but um, I, I do. You, would you agree that a lot of at least Bay Area, Southern California, people are for the most part fairly responsible on what they sh- and educated on what they should be purchasing? That's a great question. You know, I actually don't know the answer to that. I think I that ho- California has a lot of leadership in the kind of the aspect of like, we have the Monterey Bay Aquarium, you know, and they have been a long time leader in sustainable seafood and consumer education. Um, but numbers wise, I actually don't know. Do you, do you think, is it nationally mandated for, well, I mean, I know there's a million different kind of markets. Um, when I say markets, I mean grocery stores, but are there laws in place that let's say like a Ralph's or a Vons or whatever that is, um, are only allowed to purchase and sell, you know, sustainable seafood? Uh, no, <laughs> to put it bluntly. I mean, to the extent of what they're buying is capable of, what parts of the laws are actually enforced. Um, no, you can go shopping at a lot of grocery stores all over our country and buy unsustainable seafood, um, which is why when People ask me, okay, what's the quickest way to make sure that I'm buying good seafood that's respectful of the environment, that's respectful of communities? And I think the quickest way to do that is to just, you know, ask the person behind the counter, you know, whether it's a Safeway or a Whole Foods or a Shopper's Corner, just saying, hey, where did this fish come from? You know, and ask if it was American caught. And that's a real quick and easy way to make sure that your fish is very likely environmentally sustainable and you know there's not going to be any human rights violations with it yeah that's a good answer too i've done that before too i had a um i don't honestly remember if it was ocean conservancy or another organization but there was this like downloadable um checklist and you could check which um what they were selling on there and if it was sustainable uh sustainably fished in the in the market i did this when i was in pennsylvania and um i, I felt like they were pretty at least the people I spoke to, they were pretty open with the like transparency of letting you know. Because a lot of people in that industry, again, I don't know this industry very well, but a lot of people in that industry don't want to be on the wrong side of history with it. You know, it's a business. Like you wanna you don't want that negativity. It's 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 bad. It's horrible for the environment and for the for fishing, but it's also bad press if, you know, people start talking about you and posting things that you know, they're selling like really bad stuff there like shark fin soup or some crap. Totally. Yeah. It's great when consumers can be aware and care and things like the Monterey Bay Aquarium trifold, you know, they have a red light, yellow light, green light system that makes it really easy for consumers to make great choices, even when they're going to places where um, it's a little bit harder to read the packaging or, you know, what's going on. At least if you can identify the fish, um, you know, sort of what light you're operating under there. Yeah, I'm glad we have people like you in charge and that that are like advocating for this. I mean, people are so dumb for the most part. I'm kind of cynical at that, but if like mermaids existed, we would fish them to the point of like extinction. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I, I just I feel like I'm just so grateful that somebody like you has the eyes on it and knows what they're doing because a lot of people well, don't. Eyes on it, yes. Knows what I'm doing. That's questionable. Oh no, hardly. Yes. Um I wanted to bring up uh this was a 
article, I don't know if you're friends with, this is a colleague of yours, but it's by Meredith Moore called Running Aground, uh, U.S. Fisheries Management System Headed for the Rocks. Mm-hmm. What, this is a recent article. This is from, uh, it's from this year. Um, but if you could comment on this, this kind of caught my eye. It says, since 2017, the number of overfished stocks has jumped from 35 to 40, 49. Uh, and no fish stocks were rebuilt in the last year. I assume that's because of the pandemic. I, uh, I think that that's probably actually incorrect assumption, um, okay. but it could have something to do with it. I mean, you never you never quite know. Um, yeah, this has more to do with sort of just the downward trend that we're seeing. Um, every year, NOAA Fisheries puts out a report. Um, it's actually mandated, and they give it to Congress, and it says, hey, here's where we're at this year. And um, the blog that Meredith wrote was in response to that and was talking about sort of this downward trend that we're seeing. Um, and a lot of concerns with that and it being related to climate change. You know, are we seeing additional pressures coming from the environment in the shape of climate or other stressors? And yeah, I think things like um, COVID are part of it in the sense that when you have these unexpected social pressures, uh, it puts pressures on fisheries. You know, it puts pressures on people and it changes up the game and it, it can be tough to react to. Yeah, and the article, um, the article, the 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 blog entry, I guess the article, you could say, um, it, overfishing remains near historic lows. Is that that's accurate? That is accurate. So that's that's great news. Then, um, I mean, I know there's a lot of work to do, of course, but have we seen this uh, these historic lows? Is this something that's been a downward trend for like, the, is it like the past decade? Is this like a new thing? Like, how how does that all play out? chronologically speaking? Uh, mostly in the last like 10, 15 years, there's been a, a steady downward trend and that's been great. Um, that's been in response to um, strengthening of the Magnuson-Stevens Act and having uh, tighter restrictions on overfishing and towards rebuilding stocks. Uh, and also just a change in the way that um, I think people have been, been viewing the ocean and the way fishermen are fishing. Yeah, I, I think it's also because of you too, Corey. I want you to start taking more credit for this stuff. I tell people that. I'm like, oh, I know the person that made this happen. I'll take my free drink, please. And they go, yes, sir, right away. Um, no, that is great news, though. And when you talk about, um, when you like, you know, educate people and they ask you questions, um, I know you're, you've been very gracious on the show of, uh, you know, speaking to at length about this, but are you seeing... Um, things pop up in your line of work where uh, more people like, you know, want you to speak or there's more companies interested in learning more or partnering? Like, is, do you see more of like a global collaboration and uh, like awareness of wanting to to do the right thing and, and educate themselves more on this? I think there's been, at least in the time that I've been working in fisheries and about sort of food systems in general, I think there has been a, just a growing awareness of the importance of having local and sustainable food. Now, what does local mean? What does sustainable mean? What does healthy even mean when it comes to food? I mean, these are great questions, but I think broadly across people of different ages, different demographics, different geographies across our country, I think people are asking that question more and more. So that's great. And it's wonderful when we can help people out and say, hey, you know, fisheries are part of our food supply system. I think we have a tendency to think about them as sort of apart from that, but they really are an integral part of our food supply system. And um, fish and fisheries remain um, 
you know, some of the healthiest protein on earth. So, you know, it's important that we think about them in the context of what they do for us as humans and um, the importance of keeping those stocks healthy. Yeah, it's integral, you know, it's super important. And uh, um, the more you know, you know, I mean, the more people get educated in themselves, they can make right decisions, they can do the right <laughs> thing. Gesundheit. Thanks. Sorry, I have this like super awkward cough. So You're allergic to me. It's, it's <laughs> bad. <laughs> it is. It. It's really bad. I've been allergic to people before. I don't know what they had that triggered something, but I would just get all sneezy. I'm like, I think I'm allergic to you. Um, before we go, I know your time is limited, but I wanted to, of course, it is Shark Week, and I wanted to bring up sharks, um, mm. arguably the, one of the most majestic beasts on the planet. Uh, also the most fascinating. I'm very biased. I do love sharks. Uh, but do you know there are Greenland sharks that are alive that have been around before there was even the United States of America? I'm sure you do. That's really cool. I amazing. didn't know that specific fact. That's pretty amazing. Um, oh, and plug to the hagfish, too. We must never forget the hagfish. <laughs> we talked about that in the first show you're ever on. And once in a while, John and I will still bring up the hagfish. Mm-hmm. And look at it and get very afraid. I... I have grown to actually think that they're very cute at this point. <laughs> I've looked at it so much. It's like that person you see every day in college and you're like, I guess you're kind of cute because, you know, you, you talk to me. So, um, but no, I, I think they're cool. We've, we've talked about them a lot. You've impressed tagfish on us more than anything, I think, in these five years because John and I apparently bring it up a lot in like text, conversation, <laughs> whatever. Um, but that's I, an accomplishment right there. I'll take there that. There it one. is. See? <laughs> but uh, before we go, I do want to talk about sharks with your permission, if that is okay. Um, just some broad strokes. Uh, I know it's not an easy question, but what can you tell us about, like, what can people do to stop or slow down or whatever the shark fin trade? Oh, that's a great question. Well, don't eat is shark it? I was I was hoping I wasn't too broad, and you're like, really? That's like saying, <laughs> how do planes fly? You know, what makes the sun warm? It's like, I, I know I should be more specific, but I, I felt like it was the first thing that came to my mind. No, that's great. Just, so don't eat, don't eat shark. Um, don't buy shark products. Those are, like, pretty straightforward. Um, and then think about ocean care generally. You know, when you eat and purchase fish, think about that, because... Sustainable fishing methods mean that you're not catching too many sharks and you're taking care of sharks. And, you know, don't don't hunt sharks. You know, sharks are one of our oldest, most amazing species on Earth. And their populations are greatly, greatly in free fall. And, you know, we have incredibly low numbers of a lot of species around the planet. So, you know, try not to eat them, um, give them a respectful distance and... And yeah, I actually saw, I was going to say, don't get, you know, sharks are really not going to hurt anybody. Um, but I was out on the water the other day and actually saw uh, a great white shark not too far from my home in the water. And it was just one oh of gosh. the most stunning experiences and also made me feel like I'm never getting in the ocean in that beach again. Because um, they are just such these powerful, majestic animals. That's amazing. Wait, you saw it from... You were in a boat? I was in a boat, and it was, um, gosh, how long ago maybe was that? It was maybe six weeks ago or something like that, and the water was actually really cool up here in Monterey Bay, and so it was really clear, 
and we were over by um, New Brighton State Beach, which is a, a, a state park, which is here near Santa Cruz. And we were boating and sure enough, we looked over and there it was. It's just oh like gosh. beautiful great white. And it was swimming, you know, what looked like slowly, but it's actually pretty fast. And it actually went right underneath our boat. And what? I, wow, we all had a little bit of a collective heart attack because, you know, you really don't want to fall overboard at that moment. Um, no, but so they really are. I've never seen one in the wild before. And they are such stunning creatures. They, they I, they're beautiful. And I don't, I don't know what I, I would probably cry if I saw one like, like happy. <laughs> I'd be happy. I like, I would, I wouldn't know what to do. Like I love, <laughs> I've swam with sharks before, but, um, and I love sharks, but a great white would be, I don't know what I would do with myself to see that. Of course I wouldn't want to be, you know, in the water right next to them, but, uh, they're, yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah. And what you, and back to what you said, totally people, I mean, the, between the bycatch and hunting sharks, not eating shark products, like nobody needs to eat shark. There's, I've never been in a situation where it's like, have you ever had shark or do you want to try shark? Like we don't, you don't need sharks without them. You know, everything else goes away. All the, all the other things in the ocean that you love, they're all going it, to, it's all related. So we, we can just get rid of the shark, you know, products altogether. I just think that's like the, the dumbest thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, do you want to really... eat squirrel? It's like, no, there's, we don't need to do that. <laughs> Or, you know, it's like alligator. It's like, you want to eat alligator? It's like, no, I don't, we don't need to eat these things. Like, who are you? Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good answer. Um, is there anything you could tell the listeners um, that something you would want them to know about sharks that most people perhaps don't know? Ooh. I'm asking really bad questions, aren't I? I... I think one of the cooler things about, um, I love whale sharks. I think they are just incredible on so, in so many ways. And, you know, they're the largest and they can get as big as a school bus. So you see the school bus go by and you can picture a whale shark swimming in the ocean that's that size. And it's just, it's amazing to think that there are these creatures that are alive today, alive with us on the planet who are that large. Oh, I love visualizing that every time I see a school bus go by. Yeah, they're, it's amazing how large they get, too. They're so majestic, too, when you see them swimming. Ah, well, of course, they're, they're so swimming. They're not, like, sitting next to you going, hey, what's up? <laughs> but they're, they're beautiful. Um, can you share with us anything or something, obviously, that uh, Ocean Conservancy has done, some of the progress they've made um, in terms of shark conservation yeah i mean ocean conservancy works on a suite of issues and a lot of them relate to sharks so you know we work on sustainable fishing so the better our fishing practices the less bycatch we're going to have and that's going to be things like sharks so we work to end um bycatch in our fisheries and and waste in our fisheries uh, we also, Ocean Conservancy has a large um, trash-free seas program, and we work on ocean plastics. And that's a big issue for every animal that lives in the ocean. So how do we reduce that pollution and protect our marine wildlife, including sharks? Um, and thinking about how we, how we, yeah, how we protect, as you said, the ecosystem and the trophic pyramid that exists in the ocean. Yeah. Um, so... 
Yeah. We've had some good progress there. You guys have great progress. I follow um, all of your channels online. And I uh, even like I have different Twitter handles, like one for me, one for the podcast, one for my political one. And I'll follow and like tweet Ocean Conservancy all over them to the point where who's ever doing that social media is like, oh, this freaking guy needs to get a life. You know, who is this? He's stalking us. But the trash thing is so terrible and gross. The trash. Do you remember when the Malaysian airline, the plane went down and they still haven't found it? They they were searching for that. Thing. I think it was like 2013. They were searching for that thing for like months. And every day, like, we think we found it. No, it's just another trash heap. And at that point, to me, and I think to a lot of people, the argument was like, well, maybe the problem is that we're finding this much trash in the ocean. We're, we're, we're confusing it with an with a 747. Like, there's that much in, you know, huge globs that we're confusing it. Like, the, the amount of trash that is dumped in there is absolutely disgraceful. It's disgusting. Yeah, we humans are especially us Americans are pretty good at producing waste. So, Awful. and it's got to go somewhere and unfortunately a lot of it ends up in the ocean. Are you, are we seeing um obviously there's regulations on that, but are are we seeing more or is it kind of more of the same? That's a good question. I'm not going to be not going to say I'm an expert on that. I think that we're seeing some progress. I think we're seeing progress of different types. So, um things like producer responsibility is a big issue. You know, how do those companies and producers that put these plastics out in the first place, how can they be responsible for bringing some of that back in? Uh, we see technological advances and things like how we actually chemically recycle and reuse our plastics in the environment. Um, and even sort of the more kind of fun upcycling types of things. Uh, so like using old fishing nets, which, which are a big deal and contribute to ghost gear, um, bringing those in and sort of upcycling them into fun things like skateboards or sunglasses or phone cases. You know, so taking advantage of the fact that a lot of our plastics just basically never break down and reuse them instead of letting them float out into the ocean. Good call. Final question. If a man is traveling from Los Angeles to Dayton at 50 miles per hour, and a man traveling from Dayton to Los Angeles at 35, at what point will they... No, okay, it's stupid. Um, what's your policy on zoos and aquariums? Because I have a theory. There's only two types of people in the world. There's ones that hate zoos, hate aquariums. It's awful. They're capturing ca captive animals. No place there. And then there's the other people that say... Well, their animals are ambassadors for endangered species, and it's the only way we'll see them, and the zoos do other things. Um, if you don't want to answer this, you don't have to, but specifically aquariums, I'm just curious, like, what is the feeling of that in your world? I, we need to think really hard about aquariums. I think that there is a value to them. I think most of us all have a story about being inspired because we went to an aquarium as a kid. And we saw something beautiful or we saw something interesting and had a passion for the ocean or had a passion for the natural world because of that. At the same time, there's some real concerns about those animals being kept in captivity. I mean, things like um, in SeaWorld, Tilikum, the orca, you know, who killed, Ugh. I think, three people. Um, yeah. And experts and veterinarians have been able to show, you know, they're, they're emotional animals. You know, it was really 
suffering. And we're still seeing a lot of that suffering, especially in those more larger, sort of more evolved mammals and those types of species. So I think aquariums certainly should exist in the world. I think they can do a lot of positive things. They can certainly contribute to science. They can contribute to husbandry. They can contribute to people caring and being part of our larger natural ecosystem. And at the same time, we just need to think really hard about where and when we need them and how we treat the animals that are in them. Amen. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I won't even watch like Blackfish or any of that stuff. It's just, it's, I, I can't watch that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't need to tell you just a killer whale and orca having them kept in that kind of environment is like keeping a person in a bathtub for their whole life. It's just, you can't, it's just, it make you go insane. And I'm not, I, I, yeah, I agree. I think we should rethink aquariums and as far as what we're doing with them, but uh, I just remember last summer I went down to Long Beach to watch the fireworks and it's right next to the aquarium. So I went in, um, mm -hmm. and I, I was, I just, I was just so sad, you know, like it was just so sad to see like these sharks with, with, uh, a few of them just, you know, they were just captured and thrown in there and these like little tanks for what, what they're used to. And it's just like a little prison. So I don't know. I, I, I agree. I think we should rethink them. Yeah, I get very, like, you see the, those beautiful, huge creatures, and you can see that they're meant to move so fast, and they're meant to roam in these, it, literally across entire oceans, you know, thinking about some of the tunas, and they're kept in this tiny little, tiny little tank, so it's got to be, it's got to be tough, so I always feel that way when I go to zoos and see the big cats, and... Oh. It's just so hard. You just look at them and you go, that's not how they're supposed to be. And, you know, you don't want to anthropomorphize too much, but it just right. can't feel good for those animals. No, zoos and, uh, or big cats and elephants. Um, oh. The elephants are the worst. I mean, they, they belong in herds of like 30 and 50 in endless miles of plains. Not, not like three of them in an enclosure at the LA Zoo where like a band's playing for some like, you know, drinking night or whatever they do there. So... Um, exactly. I ended I ended the interview on a really positive note. I'm really glad I did that. Um, <laughs> I'm Matthew Clark. I'm going to go cut myself now because we're all depressed. Um, but no. Um, oh, last question. In your in your world, Ocean Conservancy, do you guys abbreviate Ocean Conservancy in emails as OC? We do. Really? Mm-hmm. I had a talk with John. I wish he were on the show. I'm sorry he couldn't make it, but we had a, we had bets, and the two of them were. <laughs> The two of them were. He didn't think that was a thing because it was like official. Like, no, they probably spell it. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm sure on, you know, public communications and forms, emails, it's always written out, you know, but internally, I'm sure they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm off from OC this weekend or something. He didn't think that was a thing. Is that, but that's a thing? It's a thing. We often refer to ourselves internally as OC and a lot of our partners and colleagues and people that we work with closely call us OC as well. Damn. All right. And the last, the, the other one was, um, this was mine, but I, this was what he disagreed. And I thought this was a thing in terms of communications. I wonder, do people that work at ocean conservancy hate when people write the ocean conservancy in emails, <laughs> because it's not the ocean conservancy, it's ocean conservancy. Does, do people get mad about that? Uh, I feel like hate is maybe kind of a strong word, but um, yes, we are definitely it is. Ocean Conservancy, not the Ocean Conservancy, but it's like 
I mean, I guess it's a reasonable mistake to make because we used to be the Ocean Conservancy. And then somebody like 15 years ago was like, wait a minute, that's one that's one word too many. And it sounds a little bit too much like the Nature Conservancy, which is what people confuse us with all the time. So Ocean Conservancy is just like shorter, a little easier, a little snappier. And so I think we're sticking with that. I like it. Okay. So I'm kind of wrong with that, but I was like, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they get that. We're like, oh, someone else. Um, and finally, I can't see you. I don't know if you can see me. Um, I see your thumbnail, but can you see me okay? I can. Sorry about that. I didn't realize my video wasn't on. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I figured, you know, you were just doing your, doing your thing. Um, but last thing I wanted to show you was, I don't know if you can see this, but I got this in the mail from Ocean Conservancy in 2007-ish. And I always kept this. I became a monthly donor like a year later or something. Thank and this you. is the first thing I ever got from you guys. And this kind of, I know this This is like kind of weird and cheesy that I'm showing you this. For the listeners, it's a, it's a postcard of a walrus um, talking about, uh, you know, how we have to conserve them and the threats they're taking. But before this, I was always just like an animal, like, hey, I like zoos. They're cool. You know, I like my cat. But it was this postcard <laughs> that like threw me into like the conservation, like I'm an environmentalist now kind of guy. So uh, I've always kept that. Oh, there you are. Hey, cool. looking good. Oh, yeah. You know, just at the end of the interview, then I figured it out. <laughs> so, yeah, I just had to say, like, it just goes to show you, like, all the stuff you guys do, you can always, like, reach that one person that will, like, kind of support you forever or, you know, will open up their mind. And I just think Ocean Conservancy and, and you in particular do, like, amazing work. So thank you for all you do. That is too kind. No, thank you so much for being a supporter and for caring about the ocean at all and in general and um having me on and highlighting what we do and shark week because it's like the best week of the year so it really yeah, is thank you shark week is like the summer holidays for me it's usually <laughs> coincides with july-ish maybe a little bit after july 4th um but yeah but i want to just thank you so much for coming on the show uh it's always wonderful to talk to you and please visit ocean conservancy at oceanconservancy.org Tweet them at our ocean and follow them um, on Instagram as well. Um, Corey, was there anything else you wanted to plug or, or mention? Hashtag Team Ocean. That's where you can find OC doing all our good stuff. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me. And if anybody has any questions, reach out. We're always here and looking to bring more people to Team Ocean. Amen. Team Ocean, use the hashtag, check it out. Uh, Corey, thank you again for being on the show.